Hi everyone, welcome to 10 Minute Workday Zen, the podcast about trying to bring a little calm into the chaos of our day-to-day. Every episode, we read through a Zen cone or other teaching and talk about how the lessons we learn can be applied to our lives. I'm your host, Chris Aiken, and today we'll be talking about the overlapping nature of different systems of virtue and how to overcome the main driver behind failing to be a good person. Today's cone is titled, Black-Nosed Buddha. A nun who was searching for enlightenment made a statue of Buddha and covered it with gold leaf. Wherever she went, she carried this golden Buddha with her. Years passed, and, still carrying her Buddha, the nun came to live in a small temple in a country where there were many Buddhas, each one with its own particular shrine. The nun wished to burn incense before her golden Buddha. Not liking the idea of the perfume straying to the others, she devised a funnel through which the smoke would ascend only to her statue. This blackened the nose of the golden Buddha, making it especially ugly. This is a really quick cone, and I like the lesson that it teaches. Because essentially it's saying that the nun isn't following the tenets of her faith that would make her a good person. In Season 1, Episode 8, we talked about the monk Tetsuyan, who spent more than 30 years doing good deeds and practicing his faith in the teachings of Zen. In the cone today, our main protagonist is essentially indulging in the exact opposite of practicing the truth of her faith. Now, in that episode, we summed up the lessons taught in the four major sutras as nothing is real and everything is your mind, which we'll be calling illusion, that everything is interconnected, which we'll be calling interconnectivity, that actions should be completed without attachment to self, which we'll be calling selflessness, that gaining and sharing wisdom is its own reward, which we're going to call enlightenment, and lastly, that to hear the wisdom of the universe, you have to first quiet the self, which we'll call reflection. Today, let's look at how these tenets of faith apply to the nun in Black-Nosed Buddha. And then from there, we're going to expand the idea of the Zen virtues to see how they overlap with some other traditions. Now, unfortunately, the poor girl in our story started off on completely the wrong foot. Making herself her own portable statue of Buddha isn't frowned upon, and in fact, the human mind tends to concentrate better when it has a focus. Think of it as a cross or a rosary with the same meaning of faith and devotion. The problem is, she covered her little Buddha in gold leaf and tried to make it special. She tried to make it stand out from everything around it. Already, our nun friend has forgotten the first two lessons in Zen. If nothing is real, then her statue ultimately doesn't matter any more than anything else. It's a personal vehicle of faith, yes, but ultimately it has no meaning. Next, she forgets that everything is interconnected. I choose to look at this as meaning that her little Buddha is just an extension of herself, the world, and even all the other little Buddha statues around it. Thus, it can never be unique no matter what she does to it. When the nun funnels her incense smoke only to her own Buddha statue, she forgets the next two lessons. The burning of the incense should have been a shared action that benefited all the Zen practitioners in her temple. Instead, she chose to rob them of a small gesture for no other reason than she was being selfish. Likewise, she viewed the gaining of wisdom for herself as being the only reason she came to live at the temple. Forgetting that in Zen, the truly enlightened are always seeking to elevate those around them to enlightenment as well. This is a result of too much focus on the self as a unique entity. Violating these four lessons, though, is really all a symptom of the major issue she really has. She doesn't know how to quiet her own self enough to actually find wisdom. I think this also illustrates an interesting point about the connectedness of faith, ethics, and morality between religious and philosophical traditions. Let's look at a secular philosophy, Zen Buddhism, and Christianity in a comparison of three different traditions. 
In all three cases, the ethics they put forth help to tell you what it means to be a good or a bad person. While each tradition differs in the ultimate punishment for being a bad person, they're all rather similar in their definitions, though they go to greater or lesser extent on some points. We covered the core of the Zen Buddhist lessons earlier, so we'll skip those for right now. Our secular example comes from Aristotle in his work Nicomachean Ethics, written in 350 BCE, using the W.D. Ross translation for our purposes today. This is a 10-book work that defines what it means to be a good person based on whether or not they strive for truth, justice, and beauty in their everyday actions. Aristotle gave us 11 characteristics of what makes a good person, as well as what an excess or deficiency of those characteristics would look like. His virtues are courage, temperance, generosity, magnificence, magnanimity, ambition, gentleness, friendliness, truthfulness, wittiness or charm, and finally, justice. Jumping to our religious ethical examples, we have Christianity, where we're given the seven deadly sins, which have been depicted as determining a sinner's fate in hell in the work Inferno by Dante Alighieri, with each sin leading to suffer on a different level of hell in a different manner. The sins are named lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. Now, not to ignore the good, each sin is also said to be countered by one of seven heavenly virtues, which in order of countering the sins were chastity, abstinence, liberality, diligence, patience, kindness, and humility. These traditions use different words and different amounts of detail to say the same things, and the overlap between the ideas they put forth are stunning, because they were all developed, if not in total isolation, at least with a moderate amount of distance between who came up with them and when. Starting with the simplest set of virtues, we're going to use Zen as our basis, and we're going to build out the connections from there. We start with the Zen virtue of illusion, where everything is just in your mind. This relates back to the Christian sins of lust, since wanting anything is pointless when it doesn't exist, pride, since the self doesn't exist, and finally greed, since all the stuff you want doesn't exist. It further connects out to Nicomachean temperance, the same way as with lust, and magnanimity, and magnificence the same way as with greed and pride. All of these sins or lack of virtue are from an excessive focus on desiring something for yourself. When we look at the Zen virtue of interconnectivity, the clearest connection over to the Christian sins is with wrath, because taking out your anger or vengeance on those around you misses the points of all things being one. You're essentially hurting yourself too when you hurt others or things. If we then split this out a little bit, we see that missing the connections also leads to violating Aristotle's virtues of friendliness, gentleness, and justice pretty handily. Moving right along, a lack of the Zen selflessness can be likened to the three sins of greed, pride, and gluttony, since all three are related to excessive wanting for things, and Zen teaches you that you should want for only what you need. If we then link over to our secular example, we find that indulging too much in selfness violates Aristotle's virtues of generosity, truthfulness, and courage, since you'll end up being a stingy lying coward if you only care about yourself all the time. Then, when we talk about this idea of enlightenment in Zen, it kind of becomes hard to nail things down. The closest relationship to the Christian sins are probably envy and sloth. Lacking a love of gaining wisdom and sharing it could lead to either coveting what others have found ahead of you or simply not caring enough to pursue learning at all. On the secular front, 
This is a clear violation of having the proper amount of ambition in life. If you have too much ambition, it becomes very easy to look at those who have come further and be angry. And if you have a lack of ambition, it becomes very easy to look at anything and think, that's not really worth it at all. I pass. And then lastly, we talk about reflection as a means to know the universe by listening for its lessons, which necessitates getting out of one's own mind. Both pride and sloth are representations of being unwilling to learn due to being too immersed in your own mind in one way or another, either too proud of yourself or just too uncaring. The closest relationship I can pinpoint in the Nicomachean ethics is the idea of wittiness or charm, which can turn to buffoonery by just playing too much to the crowd, or boorishness by not interacting at all. Either way, you're just not listening to what's going on around you, you're just wrapped up in your own idea of what should be happening. When we break down all of these comparisons and connections, there's really one overarching cause for every sin or every lack of virtue. It's selfishness. From having lustful thoughts, to cowardice, to failing to reflect on the universe itself, the cause of unvirtuous behavior in all of these traditions boils down to focusing too much on yourself as being more important than anything else in the world. And this actually brings us very handily to your homework. Even if you don't find yourself to be especially selfish, what you're going to try to do is follow the rules I'm about to lay down as closely as possible, and I'm going to affectionately call them the How Not To Be A Jerk 101 rule set. First, admit when you do have a problem. You might not always be selfish, but chances are there are times when you're just focused too much on yourself. Next, you need to listen to what others are saying without prejudging their words. You're going to put your needs last even when you least want to, and in fact, especially when you least want to. And you need to be putting yourself in the shoes of other people. And then if you do hurt their feelings, you have to be patient with them. This is going to be helped if you, well, let's be honest, get off your high horse. You're not more important than anybody else and you should not be acting like it. Don't become that jerk that nobody wants to spend time with because chances are they're only going to remember your bad behavior. If you do find yourself being selfish, either in specific situations or as a general rule, it's time to break the habit. Every habit is reinforced by indulging in it. Much like smoking or drinking, which do have a physiological component, they're also highly mental. Being selfish and focusing too much on what you want is a habit that you can break. And lastly, you need to learn to let it go. Spending too much time focusing on when you've screwed up is going to make it more likely that you'll screw up again in the future. It's not going to be easy to have other people forgive you, but if you can follow the other rules in our How Not To Be A Jerk 101 rule set, everyone can start letting go of your bad behavior and paying attention to your good behavior. You might be wondering how long you have to follow these rules in order to finish the homework, which is fair because normally I give you a three day or a one day or a one week assignment. And that's a really great question. Here's a simple answer. You have to follow these rules until you die. So thanks for joining me today on 10 Minute Workday Zen. I hope I've given you some food for thought and brought a little calm to a hectic day. If you like this podcast, please take the time to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We depend on our listeners to help us make the show better and to bring it to other ears that can benefit from the stories we share. This podcast is produced by Aiken Entertainment. Music is from www.bensound.com. All rights reserved. <laughs>